I'm Sarah Vine and this is Sarah Vine's Female Half Hour from Male Plus. I'm joined this week as every week by my friend and co-host Imogen Edwards-Jones. Hola. Hola. Why are you Spanish today? I don't know. Oh, just for the just hell for of it. Yes. We've got quite a special show today. We've just we finished have. interviewing Henry Dimbleby, author, co-author, I should say, with his wife, Jemima Lewis, of a new book called Ravenous, which is all about what's going wrong with our food culture. So I think without further ado, enjoy. It's your first book of its kind, because you have done lots of other books in your... I've done cookbooks. In, in your capacity can as I just, Sorry, before we get going, so can yes, I just say it's interrupt. got a fantastic yes. cover, which is The World as a Donut, with a bite taken out of it. Yes. And the title is Ravenous, which is brilliant. But I think the donut looks delicious no and you think it looks disgusting no it makes because it looks because it's got blue on it i can't eat blue food yes but were you going for alluring with that no well, so interestingly i think a lot of people have said oh i got your book it made me want to buy a donut <laughs> which is which <laughs> maybe given the have... whole point of the book is to try <laughs> to improve the food yes I mean, you can't really have free donut with every book no no, no we so... thought about doing donuts uh, you know for, for the book launch but i'm not oh, sure you... you get to make them <laughs> But it's an amazing cover and a great title. So tell us in a nutshell, oh, in a donut shell. In a donut shell. In a nutshell, what it is and what it is about and why you wrote it. So it is hopefully a populist reworking Mm. of the work I did for government, the National Food Strategy. It basically sets out why it is that the food we eat is making us sick Mm -hmm. and destroying the environment and what we can do about it. Because Mm. the way people understand the way the food system works is completely different from how it works, particularly those people who are sick as a result of the food they eat, Mm. blame themselves, Mm. and they fail to realize that actually what's going on is that the food companies are hacking into their evolved appetite. And what I, you know, if you're going to change a system, yes, you can have policies, but Mm. actually you need to make people Mm. wake up and realize what is evolved appetite. Because this is the heart of everything. Yeah. Just to give us a sense of yes. the scale of the problem. Do, yeah. So in 1950, 1% of us were obese. Mm-hmm. There are now 28%. Gosh. By 2035, the NHS is expecting to spend more treating just type 2 diabetes, which is mm-hmm. one form of diet-rated illness, mm. than it does on all cancers today. Mm-hmm. Gosh. And at the same time, the economy is struggling because no one's at work because they're sick. And so mm. what that looks like is the NHS grows and grows and grows, sucks all the money in from the rest of the, the state, and there are fewer tax receipts. It's mm. a disaster. And then mm. on the environmental side, what people don't realize is quite how much food has dominated the environment. It's the, by far the biggest cause of biodiversity collapse. It's the biggest cause of deforestation, of freshwater pollution and scarcity. Mm. And alongside energy, it's the second biggest cause of climate change. Mm-hmm. So there are these, the food system in, in these two yeah. huge areas is causing massive problems. Mm. And people don't realize it and aren't doing anything about it. Mm. But the book actually explains the feedback loops that are going on mm. that make this happen. And we could talk about appetite. So the junk yeah. food cycle is one of the biggest yeah. of those things. Well, I mean, I, the thing is, every time anyone has any conversation about food and about what people eat and people who are overweight and people who are obese, the first thing everyone everyone goes, is, oh, nanny state, we can't yeah. do anything about yeah. it. Nanny state, nanny state. And what I don't think a lot of people who are sort of opinion formers in this sphere really understand is the way the food industry has... Manipulated Ma- us. But basically, basically. taken our biology and yeah. used it against yeah. us. And that's what I yeah. want. So, yeah. so, so, so our appetites, the things that make us do what we do, mm-hmm. are incredibly powerful. And the amygdala, which is a walnut-sized part of the brain, which controls hunger and our desire mm. to eat and mm. how things taste, 
is one of the most ancient pieces of evolution. It existed in sea worms before mm. it made its way into mm. the human body. So it's been out there forever. And mm. it is incredibly powerful. And we try and we use a couple of examples to show how powerful Yeah, there's it is. a brilliant one in the book about the guys with the, in the plane crash. Exactly. So the guys from that old Piers Paul Reed book, Alive, the Chilean rugby players, yes. coming back from Uruguay, they crash in mm. the mountains, they survive mm. amazingly, and they have nothing to eat. And they start off eating the few little bits and pieces mm. they can find around the plane. Then they try and eat the... Nuts the, and peaches or yeah, something nuts, weird. <laughs> nuts, olives, red wine. Yeah, then, exactly, they tr- yeah. then they try and eat the leather and the mm. cloth oh. in the seats, but that doesn't work. And then, despite being Catholics, they just talk about eating the bodies of their family and friends. Mm. And they start with the flesh. They mm. cut it with shards from the window of the plane. Mm. And they dry it out like kind of biltong mm-hmm. in the sun. And then when they finish the flesh... They eat the organs mm. and the lungs and the brain. Because originally they decided they weren't going to do the organs, weren't they? Or well, just going to, to eat the, the flesh. Well, so it's showing how powerful that is your hunger. hunger. Mm. It's the power of hunger. Your yeah. hunger will make you do extraordinary things. Yeah. And the, the, the other example we give are these starvation experiments in Minnesota. Oh, yes, at the they're end of the fascinating. War. Yeah, yeah. So at the end of the war, they, were, they realized there had to be a whole load of people in Europe who had basically starved and they mm. needed to work out how to refeed them and mm-hmm. get them back to normal weight. And they had some conscientious objectors in America who wanted to be part of the war effort. Mm. So they starved them. Right. And they okay. starved them for a period, then they kept them starved, and mm. then they refed them. The photographs are fascinating. They yeah, look properly... All, all lounging around. Yes, lounging around. Some yeah. completely looking like, yes. you know, war victims. Yes. But anyway, they describe, and again, this is the amygdala, they describe how your appetite, your food, just wipes out the, every other, every other instinct yeah. at all. Mm. So they'd talk about going to the cinema mm. and they didn't care about the love oh, scenes yes, yeah. and they didn't care about the car crashes. Yeah. But when someone ate on screen, mm. it was yes. just kind of electric. They're all salivating so, watching them eat a burger. And, and this film. appetite in particular makes you s- seek out food mm. that is highly calorie dense, mm-hmm. that is low in fiber. And when you eat that food, you eat more of it and it fills you up. You're, the hormones that fill you up kick in more slowly. Because a lot of people don't realize that you have hormones in your stomach which govern yeah. your appetite. You have a whole bunch of different yeah. hormones. You have a hormone that as you get fatter, generally leptin that your fat releases to control over a long period mm-hmm. the, the, how heavy you are. And some of us will have different weights than others. Yeah. Naturally, we'll find it harder. You have ghrelin, which is a hormone that makes you hungry. You have hormones that are released when your stomach stretches mm-hmm. to make you feel full up. You have hormones you that are released eating, yeah. when the food hits mm. your intestine. So there are all these mechanisms going on. Mm. And what food companies have done is they've created, not because they're evil and they want to kill well, actually, our children. I'm beginning to think they are. Well, having co- having we'll read this, <laughs> yeah. I do think we'll, yeah. there's we'll, some we'll malicious co- intent We'll involved. come on to it. There is definitely yeah. intent. <laughs> yeah to develop the kind of food... That we find irresistible. Yeah, and the commercial feedback loop, that makes so much more money, they put more and more money into developing, marketing that. Mm. We eat more, they develop more, and we get sick. And that's a kind of vicious mm. feedback loop. Mm. We call that the junk food cycle. And, you know, we use the fact there are 28 different kinds of Kit Kat in this country, mm. you know, alone. Yes, you can buy 20 oh, different kinds of Kit Kat. I know. There's your next show. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, Let's uh, we call spend, them all in. We, yes. spend, we spend £3.9 billion on confectionery alone. Yeah. And two, which is just one category, and £2.2 mm. £2. 2 billion pounds a year on fresh fruit and veg. Yes. 57% of the food that we eat is ultra-processed. Yeah. 85% of that 
or is pro processed. We can yeah. get into after processed. Eighty five percent of that is deemed by the World Health Organization not to be fit to market to children. So this right. stuff has completely mm. overtaken. Yeah, are we particularly bad? The British, in comparison, say, the French or the Italians or... Well, it's funny uh, enough, because I was about to say something related to this, which was that I lived in Italy until I was about 16. And until I was about 16, I never had any weight problems Mm. at all because I just ate a Mediterranean diet, which is all fresh food. They don't eat anything. I remember remember growing up, if you wanted to buy a Mars bar, you know where you bought it from? You had to buy it either from the chemist... Chemist, that's true, uh, yes. ...or from the tobacconist (laughs) because it was a controlled drug. Yes, yes. And rightly so. It really was. And so all I ate was... Fresh food. Yeah. And then I came to the UK and I discovered, I think it was hula hoops, oh, which yeah. was a sort of delicious yeah. revelation. Oh, yes. And I started putting on weight. I really yes. did. Well, because I was a, eating processed food. Yes. So there's a, a study. Or I'll answer the question about how bad are we versus mm. the rest of the world. There's a study in there by a physicist. Interesting, a lot of the work here has been done mm. by physicists, not by dietitians. Yeah. For various reasons. Called Kevin Hall. He locked people up. They volunteered to go mm. in a, a facility for eight weeks in loose-fitting clothes and for four weeks, he fed them processed food. And for four weeks, he fed them food cooked from scratch. They could eat as much or as little as they like. The foods were balanced for macronutrients. And they thought both were pretty delicious. Mm. And their hunger hormones were massively elevated when they ate the processed stuff. Mm. And they put on a kilo in four weeks. Mm. And they lost a kilo on the unprocessed yeah. stuff. So literally, this stuff just makes you eat But is, is the processed stuff just because it's got that holy trinity of sugar, fat and salt? Is that the reason well, why so, we want to eat so much of So it? we only know, we don't fully know the answer. Right. What we do know is, and this is from Kevin's experiments, there is a certain ratio of sugar to fat to salt Mm. that appears in those products that is very rare when you cook from scratch. And in particular, a ratio of sugar to fat of two to one, which funny enough is what's in breast milk, is particularly Moorish. We also know that that food is more calorie dense. There tends to be less water in it. Mm. And it's lower in insoluble fiber. Right. So we know that is part of the reason. But there is a whole, if you look at and we go through the example of rapeseed oil in the book. And yes. How even something that you might think yes. of as like unprocessed. It's terrifying. It's about a thousand different processes to rapeseed yeah. oil. Because you break down a sandwich right at the beginning, which was slightly unfortunate because I was eating one while I was reading yes. it. And I think, what is it, an egg sandwich or something? An egg, really? the anatomy of an egg sandwich. Yes, and it's yeah. really basic. And it's shocking how many chemicals and stuff there is in it. I mean, it's... Oh, go on, read it. Here you go, your anatomy in an egg sandwich. It's got 32 different ingredients. One is xanthan gum. What is that? So xanthan gum is a thickener and it makes things... It's in everything. It's in everything. It's an emulsifier, so it stops <laughs> fat splitting out of oh, things. Okay. And it also gives things a certain kind of silky texture. Oh. Are these ingredients in order of percentage? Because egg is quite far down the list. Well, there's, it's actually, I think, I think it's, it's bread. bread. Yes. Then uh, There's lots in the bread, yeah, then yeah. there's egg, and then there's yeah. mayonnaise. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The junk food cycle... Mm. There are two ways you could fix it. You know, we talked in the food strategy about how you improve, how you legislate to improve the food system. Mm. But I increasingly think that the other way that it's going to go is we're going to hack appetite because it's going to be too difficult to deal with actually the underlying problem. Right. And the ways that used to happen, we used to have, you remember, gastric bands. Yes. And then if you remember back to kind of the 80s, people used to have their teeth wired up. Yes. Those two technologies didn't suppress hunger so no. people would get ha- they, they would just be no. physically be incapable of oh, yes. and, and you would and get they, people and yeah. they would melt ice cream and, and drink yeah. it and you would get, yeah. yes, but my mum used to take well, diet that, pills yes that's not really but, sustainable but, 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 but I mean that was the 70s but, but, yeah, but, but what's interesting about those things is 
people would not only they would then do terrible things like drink melted yes, Mars bars yes, yes. to get the calories in, yeah. and then they would feel unbelievably guilty. That yeah. the and NHS ill, probably. And ill, the, NHS yeah. Papers. Yeah. the more recent surgeries, mm. which are gastric bypass mm. and gastric band, mm. slightly different, but both basically reduce the size of your stomach, mm. but they also cut out areas where the hunger hormones are made. Mm-hmm. Oh. So people on those mm. lose weight and say... Well, we all know how powerful hormones are, because both Imogen and I are postmenopausal. Yes, and, and we're we, really we're, fun. And, and we know what the hormones <laughs> can do to you. Um, I'm actually on... We should talk about this. We should be a full disclosure that I'm actually in the book. Oh, yes, you as, are. As Karen or Kate. No, no, Ka- Kate. I wish you were called Karen. <laughs> oh, no, I wish you'd call me Karen. <laughs> yes, that would Maybe be for the funny. paperback we Maybe for the paperback. Karen, yes. But, you're Kate and you're awfully wise, actually. Because I went to see a man about three years ago. I went to see someone because I've always had a problem with my weight and I have underactive thyroid and other things. But, you know, basically, I've always been about two stone overweight. Imogen will know this. And I went on a sort of yet another Austrian wellness <laughs> starvation camp, came back and it started putting on weight again. And I thought, actually, this I've had enough of this. So I went to see a very nice chap called Marcus Reddy, who is a gastric surgeon mm. who does bypasses. And I said, right, I've had enough. All my life I've been on a diet and it's very depressing because I, I get very depressed when I'm overweight. Mm. It really affects my mental health. I really hate it. I get very sort of full of self-loathing and, and angry with myself and things like that. And he said, well, the bad news, I'm afraid, is that you're too thin to have a gastric band fitted. You're not fat enough, which I thought, which I took as a... Oh, yes, that's a great great compliment. (laughs) But but he said, but I've got this new drug, which I'm trying with some of my patients, and it's called a Zempic, and it's semaglutide, and Mm. I think you'd be a very good candidate. So he started me on it, and in fact, I started on linoglutide, which was the daily injection. Mm. And that was good. And this drug, it was developed to treat pre-diabetics. It sort of stabilizes blood sugar, but it also works on the hunger hormones. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating how it works because all my life I've had this sort of terrible relationship with food where I love it and I hate it and I love it and I hate Mm. it. And I constantly think about food all the time. Like most overweight people, I think about food. If you ever talk to someone, I've got one friend who is genuinely one of those people who never puts on weight. And having had lots of conversations with her, I realised that the reason she she just doesn't think about food, food just isn't a thing for her. She's just not interested in it. She's just not interested in it. It For some reason, Mm. she's just one of those people who's just... So she only eats when she has to because... Mm -hmm. Whereas I was one of those people who just think about food all the time. Oh, yummy, yummy, yummy. And this drug, it's like being released from a sort of slavery. It's really interesting. It's like I'm no longer compelled to eat too much food. But does that mean you does don't enjoy sense? lunch? or, or No, that... I love lunch. But no. lunch is a, is a third of the size that it would have been. It right. doesn't occupy your mind all the no. time. And also you told me that you... Actually, things like donuts, mm. it's particularly Actually, put you off the so, junk so food. So things like high sugar, high fat. So one of the sort of unintentional, I mean, it's not, I haven't done it intentionally, is I don't really eat a lot of red meat anymore because I don't really like it. Yeah. And things like alcohol, I drink a lot less alcohol. Mm. Maybe I should Which is very it. high in sugar, obviously. <laughs> and so, yes, yeah, so sugary things don't appeal to me anymore. It's interesting. So I talk to you because... You know, I was looking at the data, and yeah. it's clearly very effective. Yeah. And there was something in me, you could call it snobbery or whatever, that felt, God, is this a good way to go? Mm. And I quote Sarah in the book, Kate, mm. saying, it's completely changed my life. It's f- mentally, yeah. it's freed me up. And yeah. then slightly rudely saying that I should try it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she does say that, yes, right at the very end. Yeah. Um, 
imprints but, but so, so what I think, what I've kind of thought about this a lot, what I've come to think is, if you have that kind of BMI, probably BMI about 35, mm. and it has been a health harm, mm. and it has dominated your life, I would definitely go and see the doctor about it. Mm. My concern is, Steve Barclay, our health secretary, has asked civil servants to look at prescribing it to 12 million people. Gosh. And my concern is two things. First of all, that if that happens, as we saw with the, COVID, the vaccine, yeah, yeah. if there are very small tail effects mm. and you prescribe it to that many people, mm. yeah. it could suddenly become a kind of, oh, this is a terrible oh, definitely. drug. I mean, you do have to have your kidneys monitored once a yeah. year mm. because it can cause I mean, I haven't had any of those mm. problems yeah. and I don't get any side effects. Mm. The other thing I think is in any complex system, like on a population mm. level, mm. If you are hormones, we've evolved to lots of things. They do all sorts of different things, our mm. hormones. Ghrelin, the ones we talked about, mm. G, GLP-1, YPP, they all do all sorts of other things. And to treat at a population level, to ignore the food mm. companies and mm. that and just drug it, mm. strikes well, yes. me you're, so you're going to store, while it works on an individual level, on a societal level, I think your story yes. is See, I think But it's well, but, 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 the, but, the but, idea that, far, that sort of big pharma wins again. It's the idea that well, we've created a problem and now big pharma are sorting it out uh, rather the, than the, helping with the problem. I mean, I'm a pragmatist. I think if you've got a really serious health problem, as we do with obesity, yeah. I think you need to tackle it from very different, from lots of different mm. angles. Yeah. So I think you do need some sort of governmental strategy. But I think a drug like this can be really helpful. What I found from taking it myself is that I no longer use it on a weekly basis. I use it probably once a month. Really interesting. And it has, over time, it has sort of re-educated mm. my approach to food. I feel like it's reset the way I eat. So I feel like processed food and all the delicious, yummy, sugary, sweet, has sort of corrupted my body's response to food and I feel like this has kind of reset it so now even if I haven't had the injection for three weeks I still won't eat the donut. When you take it do you take it because you see a week ahead where there are lots of restaurant meals no, and, no, 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 or do you take it because your weight's drifting up like why do you take it why do you take it on the weeks that you take it and not on the other weeks? Oh just because I think I haven't had it for three weeks I should probably have it. I mean I don't get nervous about not taking it at all because it's I just You don't feel any different. I don't really no. feel any different. I find that it, it I don't find, I don't feel it wearing off but it really has re-educated. When I used to Years ago, I, one of many attempts to lose weight, I did hypnosis because people said it was successful. You remember your friend Paul McKenna? Yes, he yes. Did this I did Christmas with him. And, yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> quite a minimal intervention. <laughs> but he said it's all about re educating your brain to eat in a different way. Yeah. You know, and to not immediately go for the sort of foods that are really bad and for you. I think there's an element of truth in that. I think we, as a society, we need to re-educate. We need to re-educate the way we, we all approach, eat in a terrible we, way. We, we, we eat exactly. with mobile phones. We eat exactly. standing up. That's what I mean. We don't. We and, don't. Sit, you've got to sit down and realize you're eating your lunch and take time over mm. it and say, "Someone took time to mm. grow this. Mm. I should take time to eat and it." That is so. One of the things at the end of it we talk about. Yeah. Is you say that to people and they go, oh, that's never going to happen. Genie's out of the bottle. And so two reasons why I don't think that's the case. First of all, you're, you're absolutely right. The Italians and the Spanish, low teens of ultra-processed food. They have maintained their culture. Mm -hmm. And there are all we can get into why, why that might be. But also, if you look at good food cultures, and we give the example of Japan. Yes. Which people think of as being a kind of God-given thing. Like the Japanese, they just eat mm. very well. It's a completely created food culture mm. by the state. So mm. it started in the late 19th century mm. when they opened up 
And the Chinese and the Dutch, the Dutch were the only people who were prepared to stand on a Bible when they did trade. Very good pragmatists, the Dutch. <laughs> so it was the Dutch who came yeah, in they first. They were good like that, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The Dutch came first, the Chinese. And the Japanese were like, oh, my God, these people are huge. Mm. And the emperor said, we've got to get stronger. And he started eating red well, meat, yeah. which was taboo at the time. Wow. And they got all of the doctors in the army to start creating army food that was more nutritious. They got those people on the radio giving broadcast to the country. Mm. They copied the food from other countries. So the katsu curry, mm. for example, mm. was copied from a dish that the English Navy were doing. It was an Indian curry with fried chicken. Oh, gosh. So it's not a Japanese dish at all. Right. And then after the war... I think katsu curry is disgusting. It's revolting, yes. yes. <laughs> well, you, they, yeah. The, Tell the them. stuff they nick from other, other <laughs> countries <laughs> yes. is better. Yeah. But then after the war, when MacArthur was in charge, the Americans were in charge... They did the same thing. They had a complete, they introduced free school meals. That delicious Japanese mayonnaise was mm. a, an American Japanese Wasabi invention. Wasabi mayonnaise, that one. No, the, the yellow, I don't know if you have a trivia. Oh, yes, 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 you have it on it's salads. Got, it's got twice the amount of eggs in it. It's double yeah. the protein. Yeah, right. So, like, what you think of now as yeah. this kind of amazing cuisine has actually been quite yeah. dictated by the state. They have very restrictive planning laws yeah. to keep mm. out yeah. fast food joints, et cetera, et cetera. So I believe that we can But yeah. every time, but the thing is, every, time, every yeah. time you bring up the prospect of a sugar tax, which I've written in my columns loads, I mean, I'm really in favour of it, mm. it, just because I think that if you can incentivise food manufacturers to put less sugar, less fat, less salt in their food, that's a good thing. The government always chickens out, mm. and I don't understand why. And yes, because people go, oh, nanny state. But it's not nanny state. It's just taking it back mm. to, a, to a sensible level. Mm. Also, they've got it wrong on this. So we did a lot of focus groups and quantitative research, mm. uh, including a lot. The Red Wall is often blamed for yeah. this. Oh, they don't like the, whatever this kind of mythical thing. <laughs> they don't, those people don't like intervention. People who are living, struggling with money, who are... Mm. Actually, the kind of people who the government thinks are against will be this angry kind of stuff about this stuff. Yeah, are completely fed up with their children being bombarded with adverts yeah. with yeah. their lives. They want you know, yeah. like, and we went to food banks in Thanet, we went to Greens, yeah. and there are issues which would be very difficult for the government to touch. Meat, for example, yeah, would be electoral suicide if a yeah. government tried to do anything on meat. But on health. Mm. People aren't stupid, no, no, and they, no. they know there's what's that, going there's on. There's that yeah. brilliant woman who you interview in your book when you talk about how there's the lack of supermarkets, so the, the iniquity between rich and poor and the yeah. diets of the rich and poor and the poverty gap in nutrition is extraordinary in, in your book. Yeah. And it talks about this. People aren't 15 minutes away from a supermarket that sells fresh fruit and vegetables. The rest of the time, they've got corner shops, which have got nothing in them at mm. all. And more fast food places in towns where people are, um, don't have a huge amount of income. Yeah, so the difference now in life expectancy between the kind of top 10% of postcodes and bottom 10% is seven years. Mm. Westminster life expectancy is 88. Mm -hmm. And in poorer constituencies, mm. South Council is 76. It's mm. 12 but you years. See, I find this, but this nanny state argument annoys me because they banned smoking because mm. obviously yeah. cancer was a huge killer, lung cancer, a massive killer. So we're not allowed to smoke anywhere anymore, mm. which is fair enough. Why is that okay? Why is it okay for the government to do that? Why is it okay well, for the government? Well, if you remember at the time, yeah. there was a lot of resistance yeah. to that. You know? But, yeah. but, you know. You remember at the time, you're going to ban smoking in restaurants? I mean, <laughs> I think I was one of the people complaining about it. I know, I did too. I mean, what are you going to do with those lovely ashtrays? <laughs> but when you, think about, when you think about it, it's possible to, but you, you know, you're saying that obesity is going to overtake cancer as the biggest killer in this country. So why wouldn't the government well, be I, taking I some think measures? They, I think they will. But I think that they are, I think, funnily enough, the kind of, 
the, the way you think about it is, if you look at something like climate change and biodiversity, mm. it is now widely accepted that those are problems. Mm. I think we are 10 years behind. I think there is still, particularly yeah. in the libertarian right, a denial that this is actually yeah. a problem. Oh, yeah, no, you get it all the time. Yeah. Basically, but, uh, what fat happen? people are lazy, they just yeah. need to eat less and yeah. exercise more. But That's but, literally every single time I write or say or do yeah. anything or say, yeah. that's what they will but say. But intervention does work because you have the example in your book of the city in Finland. Mm. Oh, well, the, North, the area in North yes. Australia yes. Where, where they bought mass. So that was... <laughs> they were just eating the, 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 pig and water as far as I can Basically, yes, pig and salt and water. Pig and funny salt enough, and water, the yeah. head of the province said, yeah. we got so fed up with foreign doctors coming and prodding us yes, and working out how, why we were all dying. dying so they were all dying in the late, late, late 40s and yes. early 50s. Because yeah. they were just eating pig and salt and pig water. They were smoking. <laughs> they picked up smoking during the war yeah. and they were eating pig and salt and water. Yeah. Basically, okay. any, any vegetables, no fruit. No. So what did they do? So first of all, they found the youngest possible doctor they could because they thought it was going to take a long time to solve. Yeah. They might called, croak before he sorted yeah. it out. <laughs> guy called Pekka Pasca. Yeah. But they did everything. So they did everything from reducing the salt in sausages. They created a cooperative that froze berries so they could eat fruit in the winter. They trained the women to make a stew. It was the women. And, mm. you know, uh, to make a stew which had vegetables in yeah. it alongside They put the mushrooms in the sausages. Put mushrooms in the sausages. Yeah. They had a TV show where neighbouring villages would compete for how healthy they could be. And this was the number one watched TV show. X Factor for health. health. For men in Finland. So they did everything. And what was interesting is some scientists said, well, this is ridiculous. How can we measure what's worked if you're doing everything at once? And Pasca said, well, look, we don't have time. He talked about feet deep in the mud. We've got to stop. You know, there's a huge problem here. We've Mm. got to stop worrying about... What particular? We just got to do Double everything. Double blind and, studies, uh, and they now have very good life expectancy mm. in that part of Finland. So intervention does work. It does. I know uh, yes. there's an example in Washington yeah. where they've just really simple things like in Washington where they have taken people who are really str- people who have little money and are struggling with diet rated seas. Mm. They have given them money to buy vegetables because mm. often people don't want to buy vegetables because mm. if they go off or if their children don't mm. eat them, they don't have the money to replace mm. them. So they're seen as a bit of a luxury. Mm. And they walked around the store, they took how to cook, and they had a huge impact on their but health. So but, you can, uh, but, you can help. Yeah. But this resistance, this sort of natural resistance and the way that we've been conditioned is really, I think, is really problematic. Mm. Because but, Why do you think this is? Because you are closer to that, you know, yeah. you, you, well, you did, move you in could, those circles, not the kind of... But why, why do these people... Well, just because I think it's just political laziness because you're going to have to make the case. No, you're going to have to make the argument yeah. and you're going to have to say that your cheap food that you're used to buying is no longer going to be available. And mm. of course, there's a cost of living crisis. So if the Conservatives did decide to take some really sort of positive action on this, all that would happen is that the Labour benches would get up and say, well, you're just going to create more So is it snobbism? Do you think it's a well, snobbery? I think it's, it's, it, but it's also to do with, it. well, it's political expediency. It's very, very difficult to do things like this in politics because all politics about these days is about short-term, yeah. high-profile policies that are easily yeah. implemented. Long-term systemic things. Are... Long-term systemic things yeah. go by the wayside, and this is a real issue. Mm. You know, if you could get cross-party agreement on this, then maybe you could come up with a long-term strategic mm. plan. But as you know, Henry, everyone is very tribal. People, you know, they don't like you, so they don't like your book. And it's mm, got yeah. nothing to do with what's in the book or how good mm, or bad mm. the arguments are. They just don't like you because yeah. your name yeah. is Henry Dimbleby and they've decided they don't <laughs> like you. And it's just, you know, it's, it's very counterproductive. During COVID, I did some work with a food charity that distributed food. Oh, I remember you know. this, yeah. 
And one of the things that really struck me was that they were distributing sort of healthy homemade food and fruit and vegetables. And I remember casting literally boxes of oranges up I remember downstairs. you saying this yeah 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 and the people we were delivering them to didn't want the oranges no they wanted the Kit Kats they actually told you to F off they actually told me to F off yes With Sarah my, had my clapped, bought a great big thing of oranges up about eight flights yeah. of stairs and felt like she was Father Christmas and they went those oranges you can F off can I have some crisps <laughs> <laughs> but the that's so, interesting so the conditioning is yeah, on because, all yeah. sides although so it's interesting we did that in Hackney. Mm. Yeah. And we spent the first three weeks, we didn't quite get it right. Mm. But actually, once it, it wasn't the oranges, but it was making the stews that they wanted and the mm. thing. So I think there is, you know, you have to, when I have this charity where we cook in schools and teach people how to cook. Mm. And, you know, getting people to move from one diet to another. Mm. You can do it. You just yeah. have to. Yeah. If you do it all at once, people will go. What, yeah. What's yeah. this? But I mean, so in, in your, uh, in I think it's e- it's easier in some communities than others as well. In your book, what really is the sort of absolute devil's work, and what we should really, what should we be really, 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 apart from your it's pic- crisps? Imagine. Is it? Don't say it's crisps. It is. It's crisps. Is it pickled onion monster munch? The thing that's for me marks out the kind of scale of the problem mm. is breakfast cereal. Right. Oh, yes. Because culturally, we have become a nation that eats pudding for breakfast. Right. And it's highly processed. Most of it isn't particularly nutritious. Mm. And it is I don't cartoon. have breakfast cereals in my house. No, mm. we don't have them in yeah. our house. Mm. To give you an example, I went to speak to, and this is the junk food cycle work again, so I yep. went to speak to the board of a breakfast cereal company who actually make some pretty good breakfast cereal at the moment. Mm. And they said, we don't believe this junk food cycle. We don't believe we're stuck in it. And I beforehand gone onto their website and picked out all of their new products. Mm. I put up a slide of their existing products, quite healthy, their new products. And it was all products with chocolate in it. They're all <gasps> products know. with sugar around yes, it. They're all, and yes. I was like, you are being sucked in. This is mm. you on the outside of the mm. whirlpool. Yes. And they were like, yeah. And I said, so why are you doing this rather than something? They said, well, that's what sells. And I said, of well, course, there that's you what go. we want to buy. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. But also the other problem is, is that all of this stuff is so much cheaper mm. than good food. Yeah. You know, cost living, we see this now with empty shelves with no no fresh vegetables. I mean, how, does, how do we tackle that? Mm. So you have to separate. For most people, food is still, even with the cost of living crisis, on average 8% of our total household mm. income spend. That's... Miles lower than it was. When did food start to become really cheap? Was it the 80s or the 90s? Well, so it's gone down consistently mm. over time. So uh, we talk about in the book, it was the Green Revolution that really started it, a new mm. way of making food. What is the Green Revolution? So it was actually, the Green Revolution was a, a solution to a really big problem. So right. at the end of the war, we thought we weren't going to have enough food to feed the planet. The planet population was predicted to go from 1.5 billion to 8 billion. Mm. In the past, when we'd had grown population, we just dug up more land. There wasn't going to be enough land to dig up. And then this American botanist from Idaho, Norman Borlaug, mm. who'd grown up seeing food riots, and he set, kind of had a lifetime long mission to assuage hunger. Mm. And he went to Mexico mm. at, at the end of the war, where he said, the land is so poor. He said to his wife, this place has clubbed my mind. And he invented, through kind of cross-breeding wheats, oh. a new kind of high-yielding wheat with a right. short stem, oh, okay. which when fed with industrial fertilizer and new techniques of irrigation massively increased the mm. yield. So it wasn't green at all, this revolution. It, what, the green revolution wasn't green. No, <laughs> it's like, ironic. No. 
<laughs> and then they did that with maize and with rice. Yeah, right. And, and that's when the food pyramid inverted. And that is when so the cheapest yeah. things that we have mm. are mm. refined flour, refined yeah. maize, mm. and vegetable oils. Right. You know, and, and refined sugar. Those are per calorie. Those are the cheapest things we have. We now feed ourselves, 8 billion people, almost twice the amount of food off less land than we did at the 1.5 billion people. Oh, so it's been 40% of the population of the planet wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the Green Revolution. Right, so right. it's been at one stage a huge success, but mm. it, it has directly led to the mm. environmental destruction. But, that, the, but it's also things the, like, for example, something like chicken. Chicken used to be a sort of a luxury. Once a week treat. Yeah. yeah, a luxury. Now it's like wings, you know, let's chuck this bit out here. And the idea that you would save your chicken carcass and you know make a stew with it or you well, know make I, that's a... what i have every week i have a chicken yeah. and i cook it in my air fryer yeah <laughs> because it's awfully good in the air fryer and then i take all the meat off it put it in some tupperware right i usually make a sort of little chicken pesto out of some oh of you it. see you're like some somebody from the 70s the... no I, and then i make bone broth which yes. i give to the cat because the cat loves yeah lucky broth. cat i might turn up yeah i also make myself a minestrone yeah i mean but that's so, so you that... taking one bird yeah. and respecting it and using it for the week yeah. i think very few people do that anymore they do, and, and funny enough chicken the reason chicken is so cheap is because we managed to industrialize it yeah. in a way that we haven't with lamb and with beef so much right. so we used to eat more beef and lamb and yeah. chicken, we now reverse it because chicken is so cheap because yeah. we have worked out how to make it grow fast in 30 days and feed it very little and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Pump it full of warm, But the fundamental food cost, coming back to the cost mm. of food issue, the cost of a good diet, and I'm setting, and I talk about people who are properly poor in a second, but the cost of a good diet is not that much more than the cost of a bad diet, but it does take skill mm. and time. time. Yeah. And so that is the issue. If you are poor, mm. there is a real problem. And mm. it's multifactorial. Right? To go into the book, it's to yeah. do with where you live. It's to do with do you have a fridge? Can you afford to buy? A lot of yes. things are cheaper if you buy in bulk. Can you afford to buy in bulk? Yeah. Can, can you, you afford to give your children something? Do you have a chest freezer? Do you have do a chest freezer? Yeah, can you, can have you, an you oven. Or can yeah. you afford the electricity for your chest no. freezer? Can yeah. you afford to give your children something that is healthier and then they don't eat it, so you give them something else? So yeah. that is a different problem. But for most of society, that should not be a problem. And for... The poor, it cannot be the case, it cannot be, you know, environmental destruction and ill health mm. is not a sustainable yeah. long-term solution to no. the problem of poverty. But also they're first it's, up against the wall with that. Yeah, it's a poverty yeah. problem. Yeah. It's not a food problem. Yeah. And we're solving, we're trying to solve the huge inequality in society with yeah. food. And that is that is. But also I think there's, a, there's something that probably, I don't know, I can't, don't know if it's in the book, but the sort of Deliveroo culture, which is quite a recent development. Yes, that's really Which is that people terrible. will now, I mean, especially the younger generation, they will order the stuff on takeaways like that. I mean, they yeah. don't even think twice about it. And a lot of the stuff that's on there is sold as healthy, but it's not at all. No. I also think they have a real problem, which is I think that if Deliveroo gave you a portion that was a reasonable portion, mm -hmm. people would complain mm. that it was too small. But were they over yeah, so I, think you have, think? I think it's really difficult for them. The thing that I have recently, I didn't think I'd like it, the thing that I have... Because you did healthy heart, fast food with Leon. Leon yeah. yeah, but it yeah. was very hard. I mean, part of the reason I know about the junk food cycle is I know... How difficult it is. I how difficult it is. Yeah. 
Well, I do think the one delivery thing, I think the kind of the boxes that you get delivered to cook, mm. I don't need them, but I tried one. Oh, they're quite fun sometimes. So what's interesting about them is that it's three... Like HelloFresh or whatever they're Yes, yeah, I've done uh, them. HelloFresh, Gusto, yes. Mindful Chef. I've done them, yeah. yeah my daughter's th- always trying to get me to yeah. yeah. So it's about, it's about three quid a head, so it's mm. not as cheap as cooking from scratch, but no. it's a lot cheaper than Deliveroo. Yeah. And we got them to try, and Dory, our 11-year-old, yes. said, oh, I know, who'd never cooked for us, said, oh, can I cook? And I said, yeah, I'll help you. And I came over and said, no, no, I don't want your yes, help. Yes, it's and really she cooked, fun. She cooked dinner for six yeah. of us Do you know what? It own. is fun. I mean, my, so that gap, my children that, have yeah. cooked chicken katsu curry before. Yeah. The, the one, one you the don't The famous like. one we don't like. <laughs> but actually, it's quite complicated. No, I just don't like fried chicken. Yeah, but it's actually, when it's cooked from scratch, it's delicious. But I think that gap between... Yeah. Being not confident, yeah. not being able to... I think it's quite an interesting... So, so do you think domestic bridge. science should still be taught in schools? Yeah, I was so, taught domestic science. I so I was it. too, but I don't think they are no, anymore. Yeah. Well, so they're teaching... Theoretically, they're teaching cookery lessons. No, right. That's, that's rubbish. Because um, actually, you want... You, but, but also the thing well, about... Talk but, to my, no, my but, children uh, never learned to cook But also the school. thing about doing domestic science in school is you've got to take your dinner home. Yes. I remember doing yeah. Always. that. Always. You, <laughs> so, you got fed. Yeah. Because... So, I wrote the cookery curriculum as yes, part of a yeah. previous piece of work on school food. Yeah. And it's really good, the words. You know, it yeah. talks about savoury dishes of Feed Your Friends Fram. It talks about developing a love of cooking yeah. and how cooking is such a creative outlet. No one's doing it. Well, they very make... few schools are doing it. They're, they're just making muffins. May, so yeah. that's another example of how yes. people think you can just pass a law or yes. and things happen. But, but, they don't, but domestic they don't science happen. was actually quite serious. There, there was actually, you were taught yeah, nutrition. Cost, you taught cost and nutrition. Yes. And you're meant to be taught all that, but it's just yeah. not happening. At the right, moment. it's just fairy cakes now, is it? You were taught the difference by, between bicarbonate of soda and... Baking powder. Baking powder. I, still, I don't, still don't know the difference. No, what, what is, is the, the difference? difference? One has cream of tartar in it. So uh, baking powder has both the acid and the alkali, so it reacts a bit more quickly, whereas bicarbonate of soda reacts on the starch in the, uh, okay. in the dish you're making. So, which, so baking powder is more va-va-voom? Yeah, baking powder is a bit like kind of uh, explosive, like, you know, the, the oh. TNT where the oxygen is in with the... Oh, okay. Both in the cupboard. I don't, why, I don't I've know. got both. And you can also get cream of tartar on its own as well. Yes. So, but I I'm thought you were supposed to mix I'm, the I'm two quite of them. pleased that I got the first level answer. You have to ask <laughs> ChatGPT for the full description. Oh, God, that's a whole other story. <laughs> so my final question yes, is, then. what should we be eating that's actually the really, like, the sort of ambrosia that we should all be having? On the environmental side, yeah. the reason that we should eat less meat is not just because of methane, as most people think. It's because meat is a very inefficient way of growing food. And 85% of the land that we use to grow food for us is used to grow food to feed to animals or to rear animals. Mm. The single biggest thing that you can do to remove the pressure on the environment is to eat less meat. And I have found this very difficult. And the thing that I now get is I get a subscription to chickpeas and butter beans that comes to my house every two weeks and they force the meat out of the diet. And there are these particular chickpeas that are called queen chickpeas. Right, right? okay. That are larger, and they are, I mean, delicious. the most delicious are thing. Are there any methane issues in your house? No, nurse? absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. Chickpeas are not, you know, there are no, no, no methane issues at all. So I think that, funnily so, enough... And what, what are you doing with those? Like a stew or something? You do all sorts of different things. You can do yeah. a stew. You can actually, uh, if you roast them, they go crispy on the outside. Oh, right. You get crispy yes. thing. Oh, I'm salivating, yeah. You can, all, all sorts of things. Okay. But, so I for me... Those butter beans you get in wine bars delicious. these days. Yes, they, those. We, nice. I get those. The big butter beans yes. as well. Yeah. 
and black beans. Okay, and so they're the really good things for so you and for you, food and like the environment. Could, it's very difficult. At the moment, with 57% of processed food, it is going to be a long time before we all get to eat pulses. Do you think pulses for, are the future? It, pulses are the, to, to environment and health, yeah. pulses right. are the answer. Okay. Right. Okay. If you okay. want to do one thing, eat more pulses and try and find something you can get these big ones that are cooked for. Because I, I used to try and uh, and, I always and soak used to my soak own, them. and I forget them, and, and then, they're fears, and, and then they oh, ferment, and then it's yes. <laughs> then there is yes. a exactly. methane. Yes, there is. Okay, well, there and what you about go. government? I think it's relatively safe to assume that we may not have a conservative government at the next election, or we may have some sort. Of, do you think that there's any? Well, funnily enough, campaigners are. You, you mentioned it earlier, so campaigners saying to me, "You know, what should we be getting in the Labour manifesto?" And, I, and I'm like. That is a wrong way to think about it. You mm. should be thinking about, A, who knows who's going to win the next election, mm. and B, you need to be thinking about how you get things at a level where they just they have to go into both manifestos. Yeah. And an example of Because that's, that, that's what we need, commitment from all parties. You need to yeah. create something like yeah. climate change where it's commitment from all yeah. parties. Mm. I remember when I did the work on school food and we published it, at the time... Jamie Oliver was in a massive fight with Michael Gove. Oh, yes. <laughs> was he? It's not, it's not was the, he? Yes, no, he, yeah. yeah. Why? Yeah. So, and Labour were incredible. Why were they having a fight? Remind because, us. I can't because remember. Because Michael had, was something to do with school food standards and academies. He wouldn't make academies. Anyway. Okay. Not on school food yeah. Anyway, everyone was ready because it was Gove to just lay in. Yeah. And I went to see Ed Balls and Stephen Twigg and a, a Labour MP called Sharon Hodgson before explained what it was we were trying to do yeah. and why it was important and how school cooks had been living in this kind of battle, politicians fighting with yeah. Jamie or above them for years. And between them, those three said, OK, we will stop Labour attacking you oh. for a week. And so when we published, they tried to find people to attack us and they couldn't get anyone oh. to attack us. Oh. And so I think that, you know, you, there are moments like that where politicians see the bigger picture. Mm. Right. And they are essentially, I believe, politicians. They're driven mad by their job, mm. but they go into it for the right reasons. Mm. They go yeah. into it for good. Yeah. And, and so I think that it's not about getting it in the Labour manifesto. It's about creating mm. a sense in society that we need, we need to do something about this. Because in 10 years' time, whoever's in power, they are going to be clearing up the mess. That was Henry Dimbleby, whose latest book, Ravenous, is available now. We will put a link to the book in the show notes. If you enjoy listening to The Half Hour, why not visit melplus.co.uk slash subscribe to get access to all our podcasts, video, opinion pieces and more. If you want to get in touch, tweet us at melplus, me at Westminster Wag, or Imogen at Imogen EJ. You have been listening to The Female Half Hour with me, Sarah Vine and Imogen Edwards-Jones. Thank you very much for listening. (laughs) 